The State of the Industry podcast takes off now. My name is Jim Higgins. I'm a professor at the University of North Dakota, John D. Odegaard School of Aerospace Sciences. I've been uh, teaching there since about summer 2002. Prior to that, I was in the airlines, uh, come from a flying family. My dad's a retired uh, airline pilot. My wife's a current airline pilot. And so uh, I've been studying the pilot supply since 2009 in detail and have published several forecasts on it. Aviation, what is going on? And welcome to this special episode of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. This is the episode on coronavirus and its effects on the aviation industry. Today is Sunday, March 15th at 1.30 p.m. And this is what we know so far. American Airlines has cut international flying by 75%. They're grounding most of its wide body fleet from March 16th to at least May 6th. American is only going to be operating three long haul routes during March through May. They're going to operate Dallas to London, Dallas to Tokyo, and Miami to London. What we know from Delta is they are going to cut global capacity by 40% and park up to 300 jets. This includes both narrow bodies and wide bodies, and they see the demand plummet amid the coronavirus outbreak. United was the first to react, and they have at least a system capacity cut of 20% beyond April through the summer. Now, a lot can change as we go on, and even from when you listen to this, this is a day-by-day reaction. This podcast could be all different by the time you listen to this next week. That's why I wanted to get it out the same day I recorded it. Now, I put out a poll on Instagram of who I should think of and who I should bring on to talk about this. And I uh, was first brought up with Martin Rottler, who is my professor at Ohio State, now works at Envoy. And he put me in touch with Jim Higgins. Jim Higgins is a department chair and a professor at the University of North Dakota's Aviation Department. And he was the perfect candidate. He knows so much about this. He's very knowledgeable. He's done research. He has done pilot shortage research. And he's produced some some pretty cool things from that and he just has done a lot about this he knows a lot and has been around and has seen the downturns and has seen the effects that this can have on it some of the things jim and i talk about in this episode are just where we are right now just the truth and honest facts what the airline industry is looking at the demand cuts what the future may hold what could happen when we get out of this and what airlines and specifically certain airlines that might be hurt more than others we also talk about how the american airlines not just american but united delta southwest american and all the other ones were in a pretty good position for this. Not saying that they're perfect, but they were better than they ever could be to come into a situation like we're seeing now. Aviation, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. It is not an easy one to have. It is not an easy conversation to have. This is not to spark any fear in anyone. This is just to promote the facts. This is just to see where we are, where we're headed, and what could happen and where we are going to go and how, yes, how we will and can recover from this. Aviation, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, If you do enjoy this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. That's the only thing I'm going to plug today because this is more important than anything. So leave us a review on iTunes and let us know. Share this with all your friends. Share this with all your aviation buddies and just get this podcast out there. So without any further ado, Aviation, here is Jim Higgins. Jim, what is going on? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. I wish that uh, this was on better terms. I wish we had uh, just this was us meeting for the first time and talking about how great the airline industry is and how we are just continuing to see just great growth and uh, a lot of money in. But as the airlines do, they are very cyclical. And it seems that we are entering the downturn of what was the golden age almost like. Uh, what do you, what do you, what's kind of your take on uh, just briefly of uh, what you see the, uh, the industry as right now? Do you think it's in a full-blown recession or do you think this is a minor blip? 
Well, you know, there's not enough information yet to, to definitively say, is it going to be minor or is it going to trigger a recession? We absolutely have seen massive capacity cuts, especially on the international side. Domestically, we're starting to see some effects as well. Uh, it is true that the last time we've had any kind of a downturn was the 2007-2009, what they now call the Great Recession, the bathtub recession. And um, you're right, uh, especially working at the University of North Dakota with a lot of um, young aviators, uh, they have not been exposed to this type of a downturn before. So uh, there is a lot of uncertainty. And uh, one of the things we can do is we can look at some of the past uh, downturns and some of the events that caused those downturns and see if there's any kind of an analogous experience uh, or any kind of um, uh, data that might direct us in the future. Yeah, I mean, that's what we have to do. We have to look at past situations. It's kind of how we prepare for, prepare for the future. It just seems like this one might be <laughs> a lot different than we ever expected. And I know people have always been talking, oh, the recession's coming. We have to have a correction. But I don't think anyone ever expected it to be a drop-off like it is or what we're seeing right now. And like you said, we don't have enough information. This is still very much in the early stages. I know airlines are cutting and slashing and they are preparing kind of for the worst case scenario. And I hope that what we are doing is enough. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely interesting times at all. And it's funny you talk about your students and how they've never seen this before because I've really never seen this before. I'm only 30. I'm in the aviation industry. I've seen it with my dad because he's an airline pilot. So I knew it was there, but this is the first time it could be actually affecting me. And I'm embarrassed to say that I've always on the podcast said like it's a very cyclical industry, but in my mind, I always never really thought it was going to happen again. You know, I always thought that, hey, how could it happen? No, there's no way there'll ever be furloughs because so many people are retiring or the airlines are in such good shape. They're making so much money, but here we are again. And it just has proven over and over again that the airlines truly are a cycle. And this is truly something that will, there's always going to be something that could hurt the airlines. No, that's absolutely correct. I, you know, I've been in the industry myself for, for many, many years, a lot longer than you. And uh, like you came from an airline family. And um, it does seem that uh, we do talk about it being cyclical, but until you're actually facing that, until you start evaluating how that's going to affect yourself personally and the, some of the negative ramifications, you're absolutely right. It can be, it can be really disturbing. Um, and so, you know, uh, the good news is, is uh, if there is good news, I think there is. And the good news is we've, we've seen uh, disruptions before uh, and, you know, the airlines have shown to be very resilient. Uh, sometimes it takes a little bit of time to return. Uh, sometimes it happens a lot more quickly, but whatever the case may be, uh, it's not uncharted territory. Just looking at my own father, he was furloughed from Northwest in the 60s. He was on strike at Continental and never got back um, in the 80s. And uh, uh, just, you know, you just see it all around. My wife was furloughed from Masaba in the mid 2000s. So, I mean, it does, uh, it, you know, it, it is, it has been part of it. A lot of times people get in the situation, they think, if times are really good, this is how it's going to be from here on out. If times are really bad, here's here's how it's going to be from this time out. And that's that's not correct, right? We know it's cyclical and we just uh, had an extended up period and now we're in a little bit of a down period. Yeah, a very extended up period or it almost looked like it could never possibly go back down because, yeah, just uh, whenever, like you said, extended period of time, you kind of forget about the bad times. And when you're in the bad times, it's only been a week or so. And people are already thinking about how it's the worst industry and everyone's going to lose their job, which we don't know yet. That might not be the case. But what we do know, these are kind of the facts that we have in front of us. And we talked about a little bit of this earlier, but American Airlines has said they are cutting international flying by 75%. They also came out, I think it was today or yesterday, saying they're grounding most of its wide body fleet from March 16th to May 6th. And they're going to operate only three long haul routes during March and through May. And that is DFW to London Heathrow and Tokyo, and then also Miami to London. So 
I know American Airlines wasn't as kind of, um, they didn't operate as much. They have much of, as much of a footprint over in Asia. I know they were more focused probably on Europe and South America. So that's going to be interesting to see how that goes too. And they've already kind of cut those flights as we just talked about. And then Delta has reduced their overall flying by 40% globally. And they're parking 300 jets. And United is kind of still status quo on what they came out with probably a week ago, which I think was about 20% cuts for uh, global, but they also seem to be the ones that are hit worst with uh, the Asia shutdown. Yeah, there's no doubt this is unprecedented. You know, one of the things we have to keep in mind is the airlines, uh, they are the first to see through their reservation systems what the behavior is going to be in the future. And, you know, you saw Ed Bastian from Delta Airlines come out last week and say, you know, at that time that cancellations were exceeding new reservations, which I think is unprecedented. You know, when you, when you hear that, uh, it shows the fear that people have and um, obviously doesn't bode well, uh, you know, for the next couple months, uh, for sure. Uh, no doubt these are drastic cuts. Uh, no doubt uh, they will have uh, some, you um, uh, some undef uh, undefined term of longevity. Uh, we do know eventually the resiliency of the industry is it will come back, but you know the question is when. Yeah, and the question is also how it will come back. I think that, I mean, depending on how long this lasts, I, I don't know the future of some airlines might have to be consolidated. I know that's probably more of a fact over in Europe than it is in the States because we were, so, we were in such a strong boom. And I think the airlines, most of them, if not all of them, were in such a good position to weather the storm. Whether and now, but in Europe, you have kind of Norwegian, which is falling apart. Uh, I think KLM was given. I think they have like where they only had six weeks left to operate as they are, or something like that. Which we I don't know. The, I don't know the factual basis behind that. It could just be like airline airline forums or just rumors going on. But I know that the American Airlines, United Delta, and even the other ones are doing much better or are much better positioned than some of the the carriers over in Europe or in Asia. There's, there's no doubt. There's a few things the airlines have learned, uh, well, more than a few, but a few key things the airlines have learned about making money since the early days of the 2000s after 9-11. Uh, one, of, one of the big lessons learned was ancillary income. I know that from a consumer point of view, consumers groan about the baggage fees, the seat placement fees, you know, all the other things, the up, upgrades and whatnot. Uh, but the truth is that's been a tremendous amount of revenue. That did not exist during the 9-11 recovery, nor did it exist during the SARS disruptions, you know, 2002, 2004. Uh, we did see it in 2007, 2009. And there's still actually, to borrow a cliche, meat on the bone there. There's a, there's a lot of more opportunity for ancillary income. Uh, also, the other, if you want to look for a silver lining, you probably know about fuel, the cost of oil. Uh, right now, that's gone way down. And so that will absolutely help um, the domestic airlines for sure. Manage. Most of them were not uh, overly hedged. There's a couple of exceptions to that. Uh, so they're paying at the pump and going to be doing quite well for, for themselves. Um, and I will also say one other thing. You know, I, I also come from a little bit of a, a union background, uh, and I have not always been the biggest fan of management teams in the industry. But I will tell you, uh, I've been quite impressed over the last three to four years with some of the different management folks that have risen to the top of these airlines. They seem to really have this nailed down. And even though we're in very uncertain times, I have no doubt that they're going to put together, you know, really well optimized plans to to help navigate out of this. I really do believe that. I, I think in the years past, maybe we might have had some doubts about some of the leaders, but by and large, I think we've got some good people there. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, and Ed Bastian, like we talked about, is kind of stepping out and, and taking six months off of pay. Like, I mean, 
he might be making a ton of money and he might have the the means to do it or maybe there's a kickback later in his contract but it's still a very honorable thing to do and it's still doing something and i would like to see more people that are in a situation like that kind of offer the same thing i'm not saying they take no money but kind of just everyone needs to give you know it's a thing like right now it could be the most important thing is making sure these airlines stay and making sure we do everything we can to to have a job in 2 years or something like that so i, I think it's very honorable that ed was able to do that I completely agree. And, you know, a lot of this is going to the recovery in the industry is going to be all about confidence, you know, the consumer confidence, the employee confidence, just the overall economic confidence. And when you do things like this, uh, where you have an overt symbol to everyone saying, hey, I'm going to share some of the pain, too. I I agree. I I have to applaud that as well. Yeah. And we talked you talked a little bit about how they kind of they see this first. So airlines are seeing that future bookings, the cancellations are outweighing the amount of bookings that they're having. Now, I also think that is obviously like we're talking about that is fear driven and the, the airlines and the industry and it's everyone needs to come up and they need to figure out a way to restore confidence. And I don't know how they're going to do that in the future or when that is when that is possible to do, because right now it might not be the safest thing to fly and go to all these places because spreading the disease, whatever it may be. But that can also change really fast. So say like in two weeks they come up with, they figure out that the, the curve is finally flattening and people are like, hey, it's probably a little bit safer and then future bookings can be can be kind of put back out there. So when they say that the future bookings are not the same as the cancellations, I feel like that could really change kind of like overnight or even weekly. So I'm not, I don't know. I feel like that was just kind of an interesting way to, to talk about that, if that, if that makes sense. It makes absolute sense. So so here's the thing. When we look back at 9-11, for instance, when the, um, when the airlines redeployed and put flights back in the air, uh, I think they started on September 14th, 15th, somewhere in there, you know, bookings were really, really low. And the reason for that, for those of that lived through that, if you recall, it, it, it absolutely was a time when we didn't know if the terrorists were going to strike again. We didn't know if the security protocols were where they needed to be. And so there still was a lot of fear. I think it might be different here somewhat um, once that um, the pandemic comes under control and it will come under control. It's just a matter of when. But once it comes under control and runs its course, um, I I do think that that fear of it's very different. I I do agree with you. It should go away a lot uh, more quickly than we saw with 9-11 and with some of the economic uh, issues because – um, you know, people will feel a lot safer, safer traveling. One, one point on that, I don't know if you've seen some of the social media campaigns. I, I hate to keep calling out Delta. I think a lot of the airlines are doing some great things, but Delta started a social media campaign. I've seen it uh, on several of my social media accounts where they're actually uh, going through and showing how the aircraft is cleaned, how the HEPA filters are changed. And I think that's actually very important. You know, right now everyone's caught up in, quite frankly, a panic. A lot of people are. But as we subside and as uh, we rebound, that type of a campaign, I think, is going to be crucial to help alleviate that fear. I agree. And I think it's going to change the way it's going to create more expenses for the airlines in the future, because I think this is going to be kind of the this is how they're going to have to do it from here on out. Like passengers aren't going to be okay. They're always going to know how the plane is clean just because. This is going to scare people for kind of I mean, like we talked about. It, it's not going to be as bad as 9/11. The fear is a little bit different because once we get this under control, it's completely under control. Like a pandemic's not just going to happen out of thin air again. Probably, hopefully, not in the next two weeks or a year after this. But they're going to have to clean these planes like this for probably the next foreseeable future and for as long as airlines are operating. I would imagine. There's no doubt about it. I think people. People will become uh, better educated, sometimes, you know, maybe a little overly educated in some areas, but uh, uh, it'll be absolutely critical that airlines uh, front and center showcase 
their efforts to, you know, biologically decontaminate things and how they take that into account. And I think you're going to see a lot more of that and it's necessary. And I also like how you brought up the the oil price and how airlines are having so much, so much savings from that. But to counter that, there's one issue with that is to maximize on that, they need to fly as much as possible. So they're not flying as much, they're not saving as much money, but they are still flying, they're still saving money on the, the routes that they are flying, which is good. You're absolutely right. You know, when you look at the cost per unit, it goes down with uh, more capacity, uh, more volume. Uh, however, uh, and also there are a couple airlines, I think, that are a little overly hedged, especially overseas, which is unfortunate. Uh, that's going to they're going to pay a pretty heavy price if they can't get out from underneath that. But um, but you're absolutely right. Uh, uh, it it uh, There's a little bit of bad to it. But overall, I think that you're going to see that it really helps cushion some of this anyway. And uh, it was my wife is a medical student and she isn't really from an aviation family or anything like that. So she didn't really, she asked me a good question and she was like, over the last 10 years, all these airlines have made so much money. It's like, how do they, how are they not in a position to weather this kind of storm for a year or two years? They've been making billions upon billions and billions of dollars over the last 10, 15, 12 years, whatever it may be. It's like, what, I guess I just needed to explain how expensive it is to operate an airline, but I know Delta in the last couple of months and then they have a huge like dividend buyout or they spent like $8 billion giving money to investors or doing some other things. So it could have just been unfortunate timing on that end. But it does seem kind of interesting the fact that they have made so much money over the last 10 years that one week can kind of create all this chaos and cause all these cuts and cause all the them to just kind of stop the bleeding immediately and make you think, well, what happened to all the money you were making before? Great question. It was It's a very quick uh, change. I will say this. I do think most of the major airlines, most of the legacy carriers and, and many of the low cost carriers and whatnot in the United States are actually in a pretty good position. But you're right. Um, there were some decisions made and it's easy to be critical because we have what's called hindsight bias. Right. We know now about the pandemic. It, you know, I look no further than Boeing. Uh, Boeing had um, uh, I think it was 24 billion, 24 billion, maybe it was 34 billion. I can't remember. But they did a stock buybacks, uh, you know, buying back their stock as a company with all this extra cash that they were making uh, over the last, uh, since the recession, since over the last five, six, seven years. And um, boy, they could really use that money right now. Uh, you know, one of the things that's been lost in all this and not to keep bringing up bad news, but um, you know, we know about the 737 max, but just in recent days, it looks like they're gonna have to rewire those maxes. I don't know if you've seen that, but there was a, uh, a press release about that. Um, that's actually, uh, pretty um, damaging to the carriers that operate maxes because that rewiring, I mean, you can just imagine the amount of miles and miles and miles of wiring. It has to be rewired now in compliance with the new standards. That's that's going to take a lot, a lot longer than originally anticipated. And those carriers that have the max and now they have the pandemic storm there that is uh, absolutely impacting, uh, you know, going forward. You broke up a little bit there. You said those carriers that have the max and the, and the pandemic and they kind of cut out. Oh yeah, those carriers that have the max and the pandemic, they have the storm going right now where they're feeling the effects a lot more than uh, you know some of their other competitors. Yeah, I was kind of thinking about that the other day. I was kind of thinking, is there a chance that the max grounding, especially for say Southwest, might've prepared them a little bit better than some of the other airlines? They already made the cuts. They already made kind of, they're already cut back a little bit and they already operate. They already figured out how to operate with with less equipment, maybe with a little bit more pilots than they need. And they got kind of already figured out a way to keep making money in that way. Do you think that at all, it was any kind of a, a beneficial factor for them? Well, I think that's, that would be, a, you know, looking for a silver lining and, you know, they may have learned some operational ways of doing business to help accommodate that. I think if you were to ask, 
the management and the people over at Southwest, for instance, would they prefer the Macs to be in service or not be in service? You know, obviously they prefer it to be in service right now, but your point's well taken. Uh, airlines have learned how to manage very efficiently. And, you know, right now that's going to be the operative word is efficiency uh, over the next, uh, next period. Absolutely. And like we said, this is kind of an interesting time because we really don't know what's coming next. We don't know. Is there a domestic travel ban? Is there going to be other travel bans? Is it going to be kind of a grounding of aviation in general just to help stop the fear? Which I was kind of reading up on uh, travel bans and I actually saw a quote from the World Health Organization where they questioned blanket travel bans and they kind of said, this might not actually be as good as you think and like you need to focus more on finding who has the virus and who is spreading the virus. It's not always through aviation. Granted, aviation does help spread the virus and it is how it has become global so quick. But they're saying maybe travel blanket Blanket travel bans aren't necessarily the best way to go about this. Great. Another great question. Of course, you know, not being an epidemiologist, I, I can't speak with too much authority on this, but I have also read similar journal articles that uh, uh, talked about the same thing, that uh, travel bans, uh, while they're, you know, huge overt signs that shows the public that people are taking steps and also reinforces the seriousness of the situation, uh, in and of themselves as an effective barrier to contain, uh, you know, the pandemic, they're not necessarily the most effective. Uh, it turns out the most effective things are just, uh, you know, the the isolation, the social distancing, some of the different steps that uh, that you're seeing uh, people go and through CDC re- recommendations. Yeah. And I guess in a way that does kind of kind of put out a, a travel ban by social distancing, because obviously social distancing, you're not going to get on an airplane with 100 or 200 people. So in a way, it's the same thing, but it's just not the airlines banning it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes it makes perfect sense. And like you mentioned, and like we've been talking about a little bit, it's about perception, just uh, reinforcing the seriousness of this. You know, maybe one thing that uh, will come out of this uh, going forward is, you know, people will be a lot more conscientious about their germs. I mean, I don't know how many times you've walked in an airport that where somebody was coughing and not covering themselves. You just want to go up to the person and say, what are you doing, man? Yeah. What are you doing? And, you know, I'm hoping that maybe some of that... Uh, but some of that behavior as a society, as a culture, we're, we're going to learn. And so maybe there will be some good takeaways from this as well. Yeah. I mean, we live in a very, very selfish society, right? Like it's all about me. It's all about me taking this trip. It's all, about, I might be a little sick, but what's the worst that could happen? You know, that's what that first person with this virus said, what's the worst that could happen? And now here we are with a pandemic on our hands. So maybe you're right. Maybe it does take us a step back to be like, Hey man, I'm sick. Like I don't, maybe I shouldn't go on this airplane. Maybe I shouldn't fly to to China or maybe I shouldn't fly here. So it could be a good way for us to kind of, to learn from, from history and learn from what's happened. Uh, there's no doubt. And you know, it's uh, I fell victim to that as well. I remember talking to some of my students before spring break began and a lot of them wanted advice on what they thought they should do. And I, and you know, selfishly, I thought for them, you know, you're all young, uh, you know, you're in a demographic that not very much affected by this, you know, go out and enjoy spring break. And I certainly want them to go out and enjoy spring break, but the point is just because someone's young and they can withstand the virus and it's probably not going to affect them, they can still be vector agents, they'll be carriers, right? And so we all have a responsibility and if we're feeling sick, it's just not it's just not right to put other people as part of that. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. It's not affecting the young or it's still affecting the young, but it's not the mortality rate upon the young isn't as big. So obviously, you know, when you're young, you're kind of like you're superhuman. You think that nothing can really hurt you or affect you and you're not going to be the reason the world comes down. <laughs> right. So, right. I mean, no. yeah, it's hard. I was just in Key West. So, I mean, I, I was traveling too, but when we left, it wasn't what it is now. It kind of, 
I feel like, you know, we're, we're all kind of taking this more serious now and the social distancing is really happening and going through the airlines and going through the uh, terminals, you can really see that people aren't wanting to travel. That's right. Yep. And I'm hearing from my friends. I'm sure you're hearing from everybody. Uh, we're seeing, you know, massive cancellations and, you know, people not showing up and that's unfortunate, uh, understandable, but unfortunate. And again, we just have to make sure we can get through this in as quickly a fashion as possible. You know, one, one thing you talked about earlier, if it's okay to talk about, it's about furloughing. I'm getting a lot of questions about furloughing. You know, the question, one of the questions that everyone's wanting to know is, is there going to be a furlough? And, and the truth is, um, the airlines don't know yet, right? They're, they're, they're probably modeling this right now. Uh, everyone probably knows this, but in case you're, some of your viewers, uh, listeners don't know this, uh, it's very expensive for an airline to furlough, right? Because they have to do that in seniority order. And so it causes what's called training churn at the airline. So for the bottom person that gets uh, furloughed out to the street, it can trigger multiple training events above them. Uh, I've heard estimates as much as six to eight training events, but the ones I've seen before in some of the modeling is typically anywhere from one to four training events. So it's very, very expensive. And so it becomes an equation uh, for the airlines. And what it usually comes down to is time. How long does the airline anticipate that they're going to be in this exacerbated economic condition? And if that timeline's anywhere from six to 12 months or more, that's when they're going to start looking at what well, we might have to start looking at a, at a furlough here for the long term. I don't think they're there yet. I don't think they're there yet. They certainly frozen their hiring. They've certainly gone into some cost savings modes, gotten rid of some of the discretionary stuff. Uh, but um, I do think if this gets prolonged and it looks like the economic recovery afterwards might be uh, long term or longer term than expected, then you might start seeing uh, some some of these furloughs. We'll know more in the next month or two as the uh, bookings, the people making the bookings, you know, where they're at. That's that's what the airlines know that we don't. They know what the future is looking like. Yeah, no, you're very right. And I read, I have seen two different things. I've read where it needs to be two year a furlough. They need to anticipate at least two years of being furloughed for it to come out even for the airline. It just doesn't make sense for the airline to furlough unless it's two years. But I've also seen, like you said, I've seen just under a year. I've seen like 350 days. I don't know who came up with that math, but someone did all these wild equations and said it takes 365 days or 340 days for this airline to come out even with a furlough. And yeah, you're right. We don't know. I don't think the airlines are there yet. I don't think the airlines know what's going to happen. I, I honestly think it's a day-by-day situation and I'm not trying to spread any fear with that. I don't think I want people to take away with us that they're going to lose their job or they're going to be furloughed because we honestly don't know. What we can do is look at the history. And I know that you've talked about this in our emails when we were chatting with each other that you've kind of you've kind of looked up on the history of furloughs and what has led to that and maybe what demand, like the lack of demand or how after 9-11, they cut this many flights, which led to this kind of furlough, which obviously was a little different in this situation, but we have nothing to do but look back on the past. We can't project the future because we don't know, you know? That's absolutely correct. Just take a look at 9-11, right? Uh, we did have some signals going into 9-11 that the economy was starting to soften. However, we still had uh, good profitability at the airlines. Hiring was buzzing. Things are going pretty well. Then, of course, 9-11 happened and overnight changed everything. It did take until uh, mid, uh, mid-July of 2004 uh, before we saw the number of 
passengers return to the pre 9-11. Now, a lot of that was, again, uh, affected by the economic downturn that followed 9-11. Uh, that wasn't necessarily just all the fear of it. There probably was, you know, a little more fear of travel right after 9/11, which dissipated over time. But all that being said, it did it did take about three years. You look at SARS, um, 2002-2004. Uh, we didn't uh, get a big effect of that here in the United States, but uh, internationally we saw that. And it took um, it took at the height of the SARS epidemic with some of the Asian carriers. About May 2003 is where we saw the, the height of that pandemic. It took about nine months after that to uh, return back to the pre-pandemic uh, areas. You look at the bathtub recession, 2007, 2009, that actually uh, took a, a long time. We had the swine flu at the end of that, 2009, H1N1, um, and the levels for passengers uh, returned in 2014. Of course, since then, it's been you know all arrows up. Um, so I think if you're going to look at of all these different um, uh, different uh, uh, events that have happened, two takeaways. One takeaway is the airline industry always rebounds. It may take you know more than a year or two, but it always rebounds. It's always resilient. And two, uh, in the case of the probably the most analogous experience, which was SARS 2002 2004, it was a, a much more rapid recovery than some of the economic stuff. Uh, obviously, we're probably, well, I shouldn't say obviously, I'm not an economist, but my, my hunch is we're probably going to experience some economic effects as well. I don't know if it's going to be a full-blown recession. I don't know if it's, you know, what it's going to be, but that could also uh, drag out the recovery a little bit. Yeah. And it's obviously clearly, it's still, this is all still fear-driven. It's all panic-driven. It's all, I mean, the virus is bad. The virus could cripple healthcare, you know, because obviously there's not enough beds for people. That's what we're seeing in Italy. We're just seeing so, the effects of not necessarily the virus itself, but the the effects that it has on healthcare, on economies, on airlines, that is more crippling than say actually getting the virus itself, depending on age, obviously, and underlying health health issues that you may have. But yeah, it, the quicker we can get a handle on it and the quicker we can understand when this will stop, which I don't know how we do that. That's up to the, the government, that's up to healthcare, that's up to the crazy scientists that are in, stuck in labs doing all this right now. But as soon as we can kind of get an understanding of this and the quicker and the faster, I think the better the recovery will be, but the longer there's questioning, you know, it's going to be a bumpy ride. We don't really know what to expect. No, I, I agree. There are some examples out there of uh, where it has worked. Uh, it has, it's not getting a lot of press coverage. It's getting a little press coverage, but you know, South Korea had a really big uh, influx. I've spent a lot of time in South Korea personally. Uh, that country is very similar to the United States in terms of its openness and freedom to move about and, and, and everything. So if you're going to look at an analogous situation, uh, now, they did a lot of widespread testing, which is something I don't think we've done here in the United States by all accounts, but they did a lot of testing. But they quickly, uh, you know, it was about three weeks of an uptick. And they've, for the last several uh, days, they've really been driving their new cases down. Um, and they did a lot of the social distancing, a lot of the different things we're talking about. And so it can work. And I think that there is hope out there when you look at things like that. And, um, you know, you do also hear about Italy and Iran and some of the other uh, countries out there that have been devastated. You know, your hearts, your hearts goes, you know, it goes out to uh, everyone affected. But, um, you know, if we follow more like the South Korean model, uh, we might be in a lot better shape, which, of course, will help. Uh, everything recover more quickly. Absolutely. And I, I kind of have an airline kind of getting it back to the airlines because I don't want to go too into too in depth about social distancing or talk about those kind of problems because I don't have any expertise in that. 
But what do you, kind of where we are now, what do you see of the future of the airlines? What do you, do you see us, do you see everyone coming out on this? Do you see, I mean, like we said, we only have the past to kind of go off of and we can kind of compare demand and books and we can kind of see what's going on now. But do you think everyone has an opportunity to make out of this and do better? Or do you think some people, I'm talking about aviation in the United States right now. Do you think some of them might have to consolidate or might have to to close their doors? Do you think that's any, I don't like to speculate, but I feel like I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it a little bit. How do you kind of see the future of USA, of American aviation right now? Yeah, absolutely. Just real quickly on your first first point, you know, we are pilots, so we like to speculate and conjecture about everything. <laughs> so we're, all, we're experts in everything, right? Just ask us. Uh, to your second question, the fundamentals of the industry are unchanged long term. You know, there's going to be every forecast shows air travel to increase worldwide, including in the United States. Uh, that's unlikely to change. Definitely in the short term, we're going to see some disruption. But I have absolutely no doubt. I have absolutely no doubt there's going to be a recovery and we will return to the levels and we'll start growing again. The question is, when is that going to happen? Uh, I don't know that answer. But I have no doubt that long term, the fundamentals are there. As far as consolidation, um, I think consolidation is always a, a possibility. I think it was a possibility before this. Uh, certainly, the larger an airline, the conventional wisdom is you get the economies of density, the economies of scope, and it's a big advantage over your competitors. We are starting to see that kind of way out with some of the with the three, four big carriers here in the U.S. Uh, so I think that's always a possibility. I don't know if it becomes a survival option. I don't know if a company's existentially threatened to the point where they're like, we need to combine with somebody. I, I don't I don't necessarily see that right now, but that is something we can certainly uh, look for. But as far as uh, uh, people looking long-term, um, when you just look at the retirements, uh, even with a small long-term contraction, which I don't think will happen, you know, the airlines are going to have to replace uh, these pilots. This, this, by the way, what's going on today will absolutely have an effect on new people coming into the industry. We're going to return to uh, 2009, 2010, where you'll start seeing fewer people come into the industry, uh, start flying. It's just, it's just that nature. We have models that absolutely forecast that, uh, driven by uh, hiring at the majors, which is going to be frozen for a little while. So th- again, it's going to exacerbate the cycle that we we keep riding. But the long-term fundamentals are still strong. And uh, I, if I'm an employee in this industry. I'm going to have to weather the storm, but that's what it is. It's a storm and it will clear. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you said that perfectly in the last part. This is creating an even bigger bubble than what we already were facing with the the hiring. I mean, just stopping hiring even right now is going to, they have so many retirements that it's going to be hard to prepare for right now, let alone with who knows how long they stop hiring, whether it's just a couple months or a year or two years. It's going to be crazy when this all settles down and when the storm does pass. It's uh, And going back to what you're talking about, consolidation, I like how you said how this, this was a possibility before this. This might not be, uh, um, they were, this was definitely on the horizon. There was rumors of, of stuff happening. So if there was consolidation, it's maybe like you said, it's not survival mode. It's not necessarily that they have to do this to survive. It could just be, this was always planned and now we're in a better situation to do this. I don't think that's going to happen until we all get a better idea of what the financials will be until this calms down a little bit to see what the books are saying, because obviously you can't do anything when you don't know what's going to happen next. That's right. And just from a financial perspective, the reason why your consolidation question is very interesting, you know, the market caps of all the airlines have obviously suffered tremendously, like many stocks in the U.S. But if you were going to buy an airline right now, if you were going to merge, if you were going to take an airline over uh, from just a financial perspective alone, uh, it might be a good time to do that. Yeah. 
you, so this is another speculation question, but kind of you've studied this, you've looked at this. Do you see an airline in itself or maybe even outside the airlines? It could be a 135 company or maybe like freight or something like that. Do you see a part of this industry that maybe won't be as touched as one? Like obviously airlines are more affected by this. Does freight come out better like it did in 9-11? Do the fractals do okay? Do air ambulance or is this going to trickle down through every single aspect of aviation? You know, that's another really interesting question on, on the question of freight. You know, anecdotally, we're hearing that, um, you know, uh, uh, electronic based markets, uh, Amazon, eBay, uh, different types of vendors, they're doing quite well, right? Because there's no contact delivery, you know, which is the new term, no contact delivery as people leave it on your doorstep or whatnot. And um, uh, so we're seeing, you know, every, everything ordered there. It's going to be interesting to see if that has increased. Uh, through this. So um, there's always, as sad as this is, there, there's all, from a business perspective, whenever there's ambiguity and uncertainty and whenever there's a, a downward trend, there are always some companies that will uh, do better uh, financially during that, right? And so from an aviation perspective, I'm not, I'm not sure. The air ambulance one's another, another good question. You know, that seems to be a really uh, growing uh, industry as well. So I, I, uh, uh, that's really, you know, healthcare has uh, typically been um, immune to these types of downturns. So, you know, we'll see uh, something like an air ambulance or whatnot. Uh, that remains to be seen, but I think it's a very interesting question. Yeah, you talked about how healthcare can be immune, but it seems like this one could be something that goes right after healthcare, especially if it can overwhelm a healthcare system that could be very crippling to a whole country and a whole nation and to the economy in general. So it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting and we're going to know more. And it's, it's a day-by-day situation. We're going to know a lot more tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. And it still probably looks like it's going to get worse before it gets better. But like you said, the storm will pass. We are going to recover. We don't know how we're going to recover or how bad it's going to be, but we are going to recover. No, I, I completely agree. One last little uh, tidbit of advice. This is just me. You can include it if you want, Justin. But, you know, back in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, I used to fly. I... Uh, I absolutely was laughed at by my my first officers and whatnot because I would come on the plane, I would wipe down all the control surfaces. And um, I just want to advise my fellow aviators out there. It's not so funny now. I hope a lot of you do that. Just the, the contact points when you fly. I know at the University of North Dakota, we're taking pretty drastic measures. We're, we're, we are still flying on a limited basis. Uh, the aircraft are sanitized after every flight professionally. And um, believe it or not, the pilots are wearing, um, you know, gloves, latex gloves when they fly. Maybe it's going to be a new issuance. Maybe pilots will always, it'll be like the old hats back in the day. Now pilots will have like (laughs) special uh, leather gloves to wear. (laughs) You you, you never know. Yeah, that's really funny. Yeah, and I actually had one more thing to bring up. Um, Sure. When, so when this was all starting and maybe United or Delta, I think it was United came out first and announced the cuts and announced all this. In my mind, I know this is bad, but I wanted to bring it up because I didn't know if anyone else thought about this too. There, every airline is in a very, very tense contract negotiation because times have been never been better. Do you think the immediate reaction by the airline was to use this as an excuse for contract negotiations so they didn't have to pay well? Or do you think they kind of knew immediately what the actual damages could be to a company? So, uh, as I mentioned before, I have a union background. I was actually the MEC chair at American Eagle, uh, now known as Envoy, back in the day. I was also on the contract committee and chair of the, the contract negotiating committee for some time. So, I have a little bit of insight into this. Uh, are airline management's fully capable of using external events to bring leverage at the negotiating table? 
Absolutely, yes. Yeah, they would are never. They, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Are they doing that in this case? Uh, I don't believe so. The, the 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 thing about it is labor unions out there have become very sophisticated. You know, when I would go and negotiate a contract, even in the early 2000s, right next to me would be a very seasoned attorney. And on the other side of me would be an economist. And so it's going to be really hard to uh, pull one over on the pilot groups out there. If the airline says they have an inability to pay, an inability to do things, they have to prove that. Otherwise, it doesn't exist at the negotiating table. And if they can prove that and it's legit, then it's then it's legit. I don't think that the management teams out there uh, in this particular case are using it to, to leverage. I do think that those that are in contract talks, it's going to have a profound effect. Um, you know, uh, we've seen some amazing contracts negotiated in the last uh, uh, couple uh, years. You know, UPS just had a tentative agreement not too long ago that was a pretty amazing pay scaled uh, agreement. I, I don't know how that's all going to be affected going going forward, but I, I do know it'll probably have a pretty pretty good effect at the table. But the airlines will not be able to, and I don't think they would, but they will not be able to to particularly use this situation, in my opinion, to leverage. Because if they're saying they don't have the bookings, they have to prove that. They yeah, have to show that. That's good yeah. to know. And you're obviously, I didn't know that, but you're a great person that asked that question. But it also comes to the point we're talking about, um, we're going to need pilots. They're going to need to recover from this. So even if they were to offer less wages, I think the airline and the pilot group both would agree that it's best to do it on a short-term basis because- if they say the airline signs like a, a six-year contract where they're the worst paid airline in the world, that's no one's going to want to go there. You know, like no one in two years when maybe the hiring is back up to where it was before, everyone's going to choose the other airline. So even I think airlines know now too how important it is to make sure their pilots are, are looked at and sought after to, to be flying for that company. I think that the the nature of where we are in this industry kind of is helping the pilot group with pay and where that comes from when that time does come. No doubt. We've also seen that trickle down to the regional airlines. Uh, you know, we all know what regional pilots used to make even five years ago. Now, of course, we're seeing a tremendous uh, amount of uh, increases. So what you're saying is absolutely correct. There is a market effect as well. Uh, piloting, you know, at least initially can be a free agency type market. Uh, as far as contract terms, from a pilot perspective, the general rule of thumb is when times are bad, you, you try to negotiate more uh, things that are longer term, job security, furlough protections, you know, retirement, things that are going to be costly, more costly to the company down the road rather than today. When times are good, you typically go for the short term monetary gains, compensation, work rules that increase that. Uh, and then, of course, the company is going to be on the other side of that equation, right? Right. Yeah. They got yeah. the same people from negotiating power as well. They're smart. <laughs> they know what they're they, doing. Oh, oh, there's no doubt about yeah. that. They have all the money to pay. They'd probably rather pay money in the best negotiators and give a single dollar sometimes. <laughs> they have very good negotiators. Yeah. Let me just say that. <laughs> Absolutely. And you brought up, uh, you brought up the regionals again. I, get, I, I will let you go eventually, I promise. But I just, um, wh who determines the regionals fate? Because obviously the main, they fly under mainline contracts. So when the mainline, when Delta is parking 40% of the airplanes globally, they don't really talk about if that's going to be 40% of, or no, 300 airplanes. They don't really talk about if that's going to be 300 of Delta owned airplanes, or is that going to be a mix of some of the regional carriers? Like, I feel like it's tough being a regional pilot because you kind of don't really have a say and their company doesn't necessarily have a say in what happens. It's kind of all based on the big three. Right. So great question about the regionals. There's also a lot of uncertainty there. Uh, I, we're not privy to the contracts, the services agreements that are signed between the majors and the, and the regionals, but I am almost positive that in almost all of them, you will see language that talks about, you know, force majeure or uh, acts of God or pandemics, probably even to that level. 
where uh, major airlines uh, can absolutely change the terms if they need to. And so um, that's going to be something to watch. I think the fact that fuel has uh, become so uh, low right now, the cost of fuel is so low, that actually helps the 50-seat market uh, because, you know, you also have pilots that aren't paid as much. And so, um, and I have also just anecdotally when this, to the heart of your question, I did go on, I, I did start looking at OAG data as the airline started changing their uh, markets. And what I saw was they trimmed a lot from their uh, contested heavy volume markets, you know, like maybe like Chicago, Atlanta, or, you know, New York, Los Angeles, where there was a lot of capacity to begin with. I'm not seeing that as much, at least I could, you know, again, it's a little bit anecdotal. I have not done a formal analysis. I've not seen that as much on the thinner, uh, uh, lower served markets, um, you know, into the future. But, you know, again, it's a fluid situation. There's a lot of uncertainty and uh, the majors could absolutely force regionals to park air, uh, airplanes if if they steam it's necessary for their survival. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of like we talked about earlier when Ed was giving up uh, his salary for six months. Like it's going to be all hands on deck to get, make sure that everyone can survive and, and everyone's got to play their part, which is going to be unfortunate. But I mean, we all want a job at the end of the day and we all want to have that retirement whenever that time comes. So it's just kind of where we are right now, which is unfortunate. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I was trying to think of one more question. It might have slipped in my mind, but um I appreciate you coming on. If I think about it before I end this, I'll ask you again, but uh, I want to get you on again here in the future and kind of keep you on and maybe ask you some more questions as this goes on. So I look forward to uh, creating more of a space for you to come on and talk and eventually tell your story and talk about who you are. Cause it sounds like you have a very interesting story of where you are today. And I, I really look forward to, to this episode coming out. I think it's going to be a good one. Like I said, we're just talking about facts. We're not trying to spit fear. Well, I figured out the question. Here we go. So in uh, September 11th and even kind of in the bathtub recession, like talk about, they came up with uh, the baggage fees to kind of make some more cash. That was kind of protecting them and give them some more money to, to work with in the future. What did you see or has there been any like ramblings of what airlines have always wanted to do maybe to charge more money to protect themselves more? Or do you think that they're kind of currently figuring that out right now, what they can do in the future to, to keep more money? Are they going to stop maybe doing dividend buyouts? Are they going to stop giving up billions and billions of dollars or how do you see them trying to protect themselves for this even more in the future? Or do you think they can't, do you think this is kind of just where we are in the industry? No, no, I think they definitely can protect themselves. So you're absolutely going to see some of the dividends, uh, payouts, some of the uh, stock buybacks, the employee bonuses, some of those things are, are absolutely going to, uh, not be a, not, not be a reality for a little while anyway. Um, but onto your question of ancillary uh, revenue, you know, wall street has been pounding the airline industry for years to unlock more in ancillary income. They, they believe it's very, it's, it's a gold mine. And by most estimates, the airlines have really only gone to roughly 50% of their capability on ancillary income. And just to keep this in perspective, it's changed a little bit in the last couple of years, but there was a time, uh, you know, 2010, 11, 12, where ancillary income represented the entire profit margin of the in industry. That was the old joke. We don't make money from hauling passengers. We make money from hauling passengers bags, right? That was the old joke. So um, for instance, I'm a, I'm a gold flyer. I'm a, a gold medallion member at Delta Airlines, which is the second from the bottom. You know, I, I travel just enough to, to get some benefits. I don't have to pay bag fees right now because I'm a gold member and I can also have to pay overweight fees for my overweight bags, et cetera. Um, there's a lot of meat on the bone. Uh, the airline can absolutely, airlines absolutely can start increasing these costs and they, I, there's no doubt in my mind they've had very smart 
uh, analytical people look at these and figure out where they can uh, squeeze more revenue if need be. Uh, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I think that's a very real possibility. And um, uh, well, from a consumer point of view, it's irritating. Uh, you hate that, but it's not going to, it's, the studies are very clear on this. It does not change your behavior. You're still going to take the flight. And so it's basically free money for the airlines to pick up. Southwest would disagree. They've doubled down and gone on the other side of it and launched, you know, a multi-million dollar campaign on the other side saying begs fly free, right? So you've got two two different philosophies there. But at least on the on uh, you know the American Delta United front, they still got uh, a lot of room. And then you couple that with the fuel savings, um, you know, they've got some tools at their disposal. They can make the right decisions, and I think um, you know uh, do okay. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. You brought up two good facts. It's going to be interesting on a consumer basis to see these costs. People are going to be mad about it. But like you said, there's been studies that show it doesn't change anything. People still fly. So it's going to be interesting to see how the consumer reacts. And you also brought up Southwest going anti-back fee. Is this maybe now them realizing, hey, it'd be really nice to have a couple billion dollars extra right now. You know, it's like, how does that hurt their loyalty? How does it hurt them as an airline from where they stand? And how does that change the the, the outlook that Southwest has on things, it's going to, it, it could change that. Yeah. So, South, it's almost a religious issue for Southwest. I don't uh, want to speak for them at all. I, I don't see them ever. I mean, it's possible. Uh, they'll tell you that they didn't lose. They didn't, they didn't leave a billion, several billion dollars. They'll tell you that by not charging big fees, they have uh, formulas that show that uh, they were able to spur extra uh, activity. And so uh, uh, it's just a different philosophy. It'll be interesting to see if they change their philosophy. I don't think you'll ever see that Southwest, but I've been famously wrong about things before. So <laughs> we'll mark it down in 10 years. We'll come back and I'll ask you, be like, Hey, you were wrong or you're right. There you go. Yeah. But we'd also <laughs> say that we never thought Southwest would be without a 737. And there's also been rumblings in the future that, Hey, could this be the final time that they move on? So, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty at Southwest too, what could be happening. So Interesting times all the way around, even before this disease and this pandemic has been created. But Jim, those are all the questions I have for you now. I'm not going to interrupt my exit again, I promise. But thank you for coming on. It was a pleasure talking with you. And I look forward to doing this with you maybe in a week or maybe in a couple of days as things keep changing, because I think it's just important to get the information out there and have these conversations. So thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Justin, thank you for having me. I'm happy to come back anytime. Thanks Absolutely. so much. We'll, we'll definitely be in touch and uh, have a good one. Wash your hands and stay safe. Amen. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Aviation that is a wrap of this episode. If you want to continue this discussion, please start commenting on my Pilot the Pilot Instagram post. You can find me at Pilot the Pilot. You can also email me, pilotthepilothq at gmail.com. If you would like to have a conversation about this or possibly even come on the podcast, just let me know what you think. I'm open to having a conversation about this and seeing what you think. Like I said earlier, please share this. Please review us on iTunes. And please, please be safe and wash your hands. Aviation, that's all I have for you today. I will be releasing the next interview podcast on uh, Tuesday. It's going to be with Anthony Pence. Anthony was a student with me at Ohio State, so it'll be another great story. And then a week from that will be the episode with my dad, which will be really interesting. And it's also the times have changed since that episode, so maybe I'll get him back on and get his thoughts on what is happening right now. Haven Nation, I hope you have a great day. Like I said earlier, stay safe, wash your hands, and thanks for listening. Have a good one.